There's a lot of people that meet me that are like, I can't stand your voice. Like, I hate you. Like, what you're saying makes no sense. And, you know, there is someone out there for everyone. And I think, like, especially, like, our unique value, like, again, it goes to, like, what we intuitively are bringing to the table. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. It's been a long journey for my new listeners or the ones that have been with me since the start. Jennifer Brick here was actually one of my first podcast guests for my launch. I had three people lined up for my launch in January, 2021. I called outreach her via email and she actually responded. And <laughs> yeah, and she said, this, is, this seems fun. And then we scheduled something. It was only audio only at the time. And the reason why I brought her back is it's, this is going to be my 100th interview episode, which will be coming out in December. And I'm also evolving the podcast. And now it's going to be full video with obviously the continuing audio as well. I think it's a long time coming. I think it's definitely good for my growth and will bring a lot more value to my guests who want to link to, with, to their audience or just help people who want to or not audio listeners or more individuals. So in a way, I'm able to adapt to both preferences. So yeah, so I'm very happy. Uh, and excited for the next uh, year uh, when I have this full video podcast and I'll see how uh, things go from there. But uh, Jennifer, how about you? How's things since uh, we first talked in like January, 2020, January 2021? Uh, like when I first reached yeah. out to you, it was like 6,000 YouTube subscribers and now you're almost 100. So you've had a big journey yourself, right? It has been a wild ride. Yeah, since we last talked, there's been a little bit of social media growth. I wrote a book. There's been so much going on. Like you have this amazing podcast. You've had so many incredible guests on. So I'm really excited to be back and obviously catching up with you. But mostly I'm really excited about your venture into video because as a YouTuber, I am a huge advocate for video. I just think it's so nice to be able to connect with you. So for those of you watching, you're not just listening, like you're actually hanging out with Max and I right now. Yeah. And I hate to say like the reason why I started LinkedIn first, yes, it's a job site, but second, I can do written text. I don't have to do video. Like I was very self-conscious with video. It took me a lot of courage to do audio as well, but now like doing videos since March of this past year on TikTok and then repurposing on Instagram, then taking short clips of my podcast and putting them on LinkedIn. Again, I'm going to get haters regardless. I do have like trolls, like making fun of my face or making fun of my knowledge. But at this point, my thought process is if people are making fun of you, you're doing something right. Because it's people that are behind you that make fun of you, not the people that are ahead of you, right? Because the people ahead of you want to help you out and get you to that level. So with that being said, I'm going to embrace you embrace video and do this long form content. So yeah, I'm um, very excited to, I guess, get out of my comfort zone and hopefully you will see much value in the video as you have done with my audio. Yeah, absolutely. And just one thing I'd like to, since you, you touched on it, because I think this is something that even if you're not online creating content, when you're in your job, when you're trying to get promoted, when you're looking for a job, there's so many people who tell you that you can't and judge you and are harsh towards you. That's something that we all deal with, but all of that stuff really doesn't have anything to do with us. I love Brittany Brown's quote of, I don't take advice from people who aren't in the arena. It rings so true in so many different areas of our lives and in our careers and our ambitions. So I really try to embody that myself because, yeah, existing online is not always fun. <laughs> Definitely not. No, like both of us, um, we're not, we don't have an HR background, but I know you've had a lot of HR recruiter haters hating on you on, I believe, TikTok. I've had people hate on me. Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not in HR. So we both have had those uh, conflicts with that type of industry right now, for sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we won't go there though. But overall, again, everybody has the opinion of how to do things. But Jen and I are here yeah. to help our listeners, help our listeners really get good career content to help them get to the next level, which now is a great segue into our conversation. This mm -hmm. recording will get posted in the beginning of December, meaning that people are going to start Obviously, they're going to celebrate the holidays, but they're going to gear up for next year, whether mm -hmm. it's to get promoted or get a new opportunity in January. Yeah. Or if yeah. you're one of the unfortunate ones that got laid off, especially with that mass layoffs in tech. I know 
Meta laid off about 11,000 people. I think Amazon laid off 10,000. And then Twitter, Elon Musk acquiring Twitter, I think he laid off like half the staff of 7,000. So there has been a lot of layoffs. So with that being said, with layoffs um, in toxic work environments, how do we we'll kick this off with like, how do you stay motivated during a tough time in your career? Whether again, it's the layoff or you're in a bad environment and you're not sure if you want to leave right now because there's also talk of the recession and a lot basically there's a lot of things going on in the world and you just feel very overwhelmed and you don't know what to do jennifer why don't you start us off with the conversation here yeah no i think this brings us back to like when the first time that i was on your podcast because we were still like very much in the pandemic like i think we were starting to emerge from lockdowns and whatnot there is a lot going on so obviously especially in tech which is where a lot of my clients come from there has been a lot of layoffs. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of speculation about what's next to come, whether there's deeper cuts or more cuts and what this means in the startup world versus kind of the fang world. And I think as someone who started the career, and I did work in recruiting early in my career. So I was actually at a recruiting agency when the Great Recession hit. And I think the most important thing, and I quit my job in the recruiting agency knowing how dismal the job market was. Because it wasn't my joy. It wasn't the job that I wanted. And the thing that I'm saying to everyone right now is the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that everything that happens in our lives, our careers, in the job market, in the economy, everything is temporary. So feeling the stress, feeling this uncertainty, I think we first need to reassure ourselves that this state of unsettledness is not going to be permanent. So if you were laid off from your job, it's not that you're never going to work again. If you are afraid of losing your job, you're not always going to feel that way. So first of all, recognizing that like none of this is permanent happening right now. And then I think the next thing to really think about and that I'm encouraging everyone to do right now is that a lot of us think about motivation, especially like when we're feeling down, we're going through hard times. This is something that so many of us personally and professionally have gone through, especially in the last couple of years. Again, like since you and I talked. And I think it's important to remember because we always, I think a lot of people sit and wait for motivation to happen. One day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be motivated to quit my toxic job. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to feel okay about being laid off and I'm going to be motivated to do my job search or I'm going to be motivated as an introvert to get out there and network. The things that motivation typically is going to follow action. So it's when you start to take action, you start to build momentum that's where the motivation really happens. Because it's happened to you, Max, where it's like you think about doing the thing and you think about doing the thing, but then you actually do the thing and you can't stop doing the thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've had a lot of that with like content creation for sure. It goes back to it doesn't take that long to become like decent at something. People just take too long to start the first hour. So I 100% get where you're coming from. Yeah, no, it's, and I think about the times that I was applying for jobs, oh, I don't want to update my resume. Do I have to go into LinkedIn right now? Do I have to talk to people? There's all of these feelings, but the thing is that as soon as you actually start to, the hardest part of any activity is starting, right? So once I open up my resume and I start reviewing and getting some ideas of what I can improve to make myself more marketable in my job search... I'm more motivated to really get into it. And like, it's the first five minutes are really hard. The next two hours come really easily. And then it's going to be hard to peel away from that, right? Because we get our attention there. We start to get excited. We start to feel really inspired. And that's where the motivation is really occurring. Same thing with LinkedIn. Like I, as a shy introvert, my favorite thing is not peopling, <laughs> which is probably not surprising to any introvert who's listening. But once I start talking to people, I love chatting with people. I love meeting people. I love entering like interesting conversations that I want to have, which we can absolutely have on platforms like LinkedIn. And then I think the other thing that we need to think about as well with motivation and hard times is that, especially if you are someone who is feeling uncertain about the fate of the job that you're in now, or if your job has been affected by the layoffs that have already happened, is that we start to dissect the things that we can't control in our circumstance instead of focusing on what we can control. I, as a job seeker, can't control if I do get a job offer, but I can control the activities that get me there. So taking full ownership over the things that we own, but then letting go on all of the things, all of the outcomes that we eventually want to achieve, and just trusting that when we take the right steps and when we feel like 
when we do the right things will eventually happen. Not always on our timeline. It would be ideal if everything just happened instantly, right? But all of these things are happening because it goes back to my first point of unemployment, job search, any kind of obstacle that we're facing in our career is always temporary in nature. Yeah, for sure. Go back to what you said, right, about focusing on the action, not the outcome, because if you do the actions and you do them consistently over a long period of time, it, the results yes. will start compounding and you get the job that you want, right, or whatever career goal that you're trying to achieve. But people focus so much on the outcome that they procrastinate on doing the steps to get there. Because as bad as it sounds, uh, doing the steps repeatedly gets boring, right? Like waking up in the morning, looking at Indeed and applying the jobs, doing that over and over again, it does get repetitive. It does get a bit boring. And then people don't stick with it because they're not getting the results right away. So how do you help? What's your recommendation in terms of staying motivated doing the mundane? Yeah. So I think like actually elaborating off of the point that you just made, yeah, going to Indeed every morning and seeing what's posted and like applying to jobs isn't the most exciting thing to do. But this is one of the cool things, especially when you are in a job search, is that there are so many different job search strategies that you could use. Like I could throw, and I'm sure Max can throw even more, there's 20 different strategies that you can use on any given day. So first, you can actually start by varying up your tasks so that it doesn't feel monotonous, so it doesn't feel boring, but also take a look at the, th that the actions that you are taking. If you hate looking at job boards and then SEO optimizing your resume essentially is what you're doing when you're customizing it, um, then you don't have to do that, right? Because you can still, you can network, you can... There's different strategies that we can take. You can focus on branding. And really, I think focusing on multiple strategies is really the answer in something like job search. But I think like when in those circumstances, we need to find the thing that really excites us to do. And we need to focus on those elements and find ways to make it fun. So yeah, maybe updating your resume isn't the funnest thing that you can do. But is there a way to make it fun? Or is there a way to make it interesting? Or maybe you can learn a way. So you know, maybe you can work with someone who is is a resume expert so that you understand what you're doing. Because sometimes we just don't like doing things we don't feel like we're good at. Sometimes it's taking a course that's going to give us guidance. Or maybe it's finding other people in your area that are also job searching that you can go and sit in a coffee shop with and do your application. So at least there's like a community around you who's cheering for you, right? And find ways to make it fun and find ways to make it interesting. What's your thoughts on the phrase searching for a job is a full-time job? I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I really, this is something like, and I've seen this a lot and I actually, I've seen, I feel like I've seen an uptick, especially on Instagram right now of the, this is your full-time schedule and it starts at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. and it goes all the way to 5 p.m. I don't think that job search can be a full-time job because I think the cognitive load of looking for a job, especially if you don't have a job is extremely heavy because especially when you're in between jobs, there's so many different stresses that you're facing and also steps in the process. So you're not just applying to jobs or networking when you're in a job search. You're researching companies. You are preparing for interviews. You are doing follow-up. You're networking. You're doing all of these things that are much more proactive but especially for, again, introverts like me, I always throw it back to myself. These can be things that are very draining, adding to stresses that we feel of the unsurety of when am I actually going to get a job offer? Oh my gosh, am I going to be able to hear it right three months from now or next month? We have all of these stresses. So I think that job search, there is this like, I have all of this time so I can throw all of this time at it. I actually don't think that's the best thing to do. I actually think that looking for a job is a part-time job. And then what you can do with the additional time is do things like upskill so that if there's something that you're interested, if there was already a career growth area, now is a great time to focus on growing. I think it's a great time to get your life together, organize your house, clean out your closet, like all of those tasks that you don't usually have to, time to do and you won't have time to do when you're in that full-time job. Get them out of the way now and also take time for yourself to make sure that you are charging your battery and that you are finding fulfillment in your personal life, whether it's finding something to do that you volunteer once a month or just reading books that bring you joy. I think that we put so much pressure on to more isn't always more when it comes to job search, just like how applying to 200 jobs doesn't make you more likely to get a job versus applying to one. 
if you're not using the right tactics. Yeah, for sure. And one of the tactics would be like having good relationships with your coworkers or people in other teams in the organization. And then if they leave, you connect with them. And then if you want to make a move, you say, hey, how you been? Uh, I'm looking to make a move. I know you're still working at your new company. I want to see what your thoughts are. So you build yep, a rapport, absolutely. right? So even if you're building, even if you're like building a good reputation with your coworkers might not benefit you in terms of like career uh, directory right now, but it could in the future if they can open doors for you in other companies, right? Or you can open a door for them in the future. You never know how it's going to shake out. But actually, have you ever gotten one of those emails back? So like I got one of these a little while ago and it was someone who was clearly like I hadn't spoken to them in no joke, like 10 years. We worked together. They were great. I adored this person. They're a fantastic human. So I don't say this to slag them in any way, but they reached out to me on LinkedIn and I was like, okay, like this person wants something. (laughs) And it was just so obvious. (laughs) and yeah like I'll still probably help because again like I like this person and I generally want to be helpful in all of those things so not everyone's gonna react that way so some people will just be weird about it and not reply if they feel like you're just reaching out because you want something relationships need to be equitable so if you are expecting someone of someone something or if you are expecting someone or something of someone you need to provide something in order to have that favor to call in Even if it is just being someone who is regularly in touch and checking in and cheering and celebrating their success and all of that stuff. Yeah. So that's a good point. So let's say you haven't really went on LinkedIn or what have you, and you might reach out to someone that you've worked with before, but you haven't talked to them in like three years. Now it feels awkward reaching out because they know that you want something. (laughs) You you don't just randomly reach out. So now it's like you're nervous. So what's your way to mitigate that? Yeah. So this totally goes back to something that I just said. So I think right now is just a great time of year to reach out to everyone. Like it's just a very like organic, like we're getting towards the end of the year. I know not everyone is a Christmas person. There are so many different religions and faiths and people who celebrate different things or don't celebrate anything at all. Even just like American Thanksgiving is coming up, right? So like I was just like with the US Thanksgiving, even if you're not in the US, even if you're in Canada, Thanksgiving was a month ago, right? Coming up to these things or even just the end of the year and the transition into a new year, I'd be like, I was really reflecting and I was thinking about how grateful I am for you because of this. I learned this thing. I learned this skill and I used it this way this year. Like I think whenever you reach out to someone in gratitude, they're always going to be receptive to it because people love to be appreciated, right? There's no one is going to send me a DM that's, I learned this from you and it really made a difference in my life. And I'm going to be like, I can't believe they did that. That's never going to be the reply from me or anyone else. (laughs) It would be super weird if it was. So I think like grounding in gratitude and finding ways to be complimentary when you're reaching out and like finding the most organic way of don't make that message Unless someone has literally posted onto LinkedIn or some social network, like I'm hiring, in that case, be like, oh, like I have a question because you posted this. But if it's someone that you're hoping might be helpful or could be helpful, again, just finding ways to open up the conversation and grounding and in gratitude so that they feel honored, appreciated, and recognized, it's going to make them feel good. And the great thing about making them feel good is they also feel good about you. <laughs> So do it for the altruistic, but also there's like something in it for you. (laughs) For sure. You're big on like having a job or career that you feel fulfilled in, right? Like you shouldn't Mm -hmm. hate your job. Yes. The the old programming is like in our parents' age, as long as the job pays the bills, you should be grateful for it. But now as we get older and mindset has changed that we need more than just for it to pay bills. Like we need to have that career fulfillment. So what is the secret to create a career or design a dream job that works for you both personally and professionally? I think this is such a big thing. And I think like the way that we engage with work has dramatically changed. And I think that this is something like the shift has really accelerated over the last few years with like kind of everything that has happened and continues to happen to shift our, how we think about ourselves professionally. So I think like, you should not, no one should go to a job that they hate every single day. There's something wrong there. There's misalignment. And it's not going to be that you walk in one day and all of a sudden you're happy because everything that you hated about that job has changed. No. So I think if you're in that position where like your most days of the week, you feel dread. Like if you're like constantly dealing with Sunday scaries seven days a week, then it's time to start to examine what is wrong there? And there could be a few different things. So a lot of times I find that people have outgrown the roles that they're in 
they've grown professionally, but their professional growth hasn't kept up with it. So they need to go and find a new challenge, whether that's a higher level role, whether it's a different role. The other thing I find with a lot of people is that they're following someone else's version of success versus following their own version of success. Our parents put a lot of expectations on us, right? We're supposed to go, we're supposed to get this job, appreciate the salary, just good and bear it, right? That's how they worked. And it works for them. We could argue successfully or not, but that's their expectations. And that was their, but that's how... That was the expectations that they were operating with, but those expectations we've come to realize aren't necessarily what we want to adhere to, right? So I think that we can start to ask ourselves, like, what am I really good at? What am I really interested in? And what do other people really notice about me? And this goes to, like, my concept of unique awesomeness quotient. And you can call unique awesomeness quotient a lot of different things. If I was in sales, I would call it a unique selling point. But unique awesomeness to me is something that follows you throughout your career. So it's how you market yourself to get a job. It's how you differentiate yourself when you get the job. It's how you actually do high impact work. It is your highest level of potential. And I really believe that the more aligned we are with that, the happier we are in our jobs day to day because that leads us to doing things that we really enjoy, making impact that we're really proud of, but also doing work that we're really interested in. This is something like so many, and Max, you probably have the same thing. Like people that you work with are like extraordinarily talented, exceptionally smart, high achievers. And the problem is that they're good at so many things and they have so much potential, but the potential and the things that they're good at aren't necessarily things that excite them. So we have to make sure that we're aligning with the things that we're actually interested in. I was okay at coding. I was pretty good at it. I not. I don't like coding. So I was never going to go and become a software engineer. <laughs> Is that what your parents wanted? What was your parents like for so, you in terms of career? <laughs> so I guess I'm lucky that I like convinced my parents to set the expectations really low. So it, it, I... In high school, I wasn't, I was really bored in school because I was really intellectually lost there just because everyone was far. I was a non mean way of saying this. And I don't say this to be mean. I wasn't intellectually stimulated in the school. Nothing was really challenging. Everything that I was doing in school came really easily. So I did the most productive thing I could do. And I just never went to school, <laughs> never did homework. And then I, in order to explain my absences and my poor academic performance in high school, I just convinced my mom that I wasn't very intelligent and that I was trying and applying myself and just wasn't very smart. She bought it. My dad really didn't. So my dad forced me into school, but he like, so I ended up studying criminology, which he had taken some criminology classes and was a big, I thought I was going to become a lawyer. So the expectation that I grew up with was actually the expectation I put on myself, which was being a lawyer, whereas my mom was like, you're pretty. Maybe you could be a flight attendant. <laughs> I did have the benefit of not having a ton put on my parents, but then there is still, they still want you to be safe and they want you to be happy and they want you to be some measure of successful and things like that. So I definitely like, not to say I didn't deal with any of the pressure, but um, I, I, I mitigated at least some of it. <laughs> That's good. And like going back to finding that like fulfillment, how like one of the one of the big mistakes that a, a lot of professionals make is they job hop for the wrong reason. They job hop for more money, mm-hmm. a better title, yeah. what have you. But they're not really solving the internal problem of work actually makes you passion, makes you want to get up in the morning and do it. What is some exercise that you can recommend so they can dive deep into what they're actually good at and that they enjoy doing over an extended period of time? Yeah. So I think one question that is like so interesting and so juicy is starting with what are you optimizing for? Because we're optimizing for different things at different points in our life. So if you are optimizing to make as much money as possible, then just follow the coin. Go where they lead you. But after that, I think that works for a certain time. Maybe it's important in some stages, but not all stages are alive. So then you have to ask yourself like, what is important to me? Now, is it being interested in my work, feeling challenged in my work? 
is it work-life balance? Because this is something like I think especially for a lot of people when they become parents, all of a sudden work like work-life balance does not matter until you have kids. And then you're like, I need to be home at 5.30 to have dinner with them. So there's these different seasons in our lives and knowing what you're optimizing for in each one, I think is really fundamental to feeling career satisfaction. Because if you're if you want to make as much money as possible and that's what's most important to you, you're not going to feel happy if you're leaving the office at five o'clock every day, but not getting the money that you want. So I think fundamentally answering that question and answering it honestly and without judgment, because I think whatever we answer for ourselves, like we always feel some level of judgment of someone else expects something different. Expectations are something different for you, right? So going back to if you're not happy with your job, but you don't want to Mm -hmm. do something completely different because there's that fear of judgment. For example, let's take an extreme sample. Let's say you're an investment banker making, two, you, you hate it, you can't stand the hours, you want to do something a little less taxing. So maybe you do copywriting, but that's a lot lower of a salary. And now they, you're, you have all this judgment of if you do that, are your parents going to think less of you and all that. All these ex- external factors that influence you. So it's, it's in a way like you, you want to get approval, but you also want to live for you. So there's that balancing act. So what's your thoughts and advice on that predicament? Gosh, I could keep you here for hours talking about unpacking those things. So I think like we really need to get into the stories of who am I showing up for and whose satisfaction ultimately matters. And I hope that most people will save themselves, even if it's not necessarily reflected in the decisions that they're making so far. And actually like movement from like tech and finance, especially since like I'm based in New York City into like nonprofit is something that I've helped a lot of people through, which is somewhat shocking. And there's so much that goes into that. Of First of all, there's like a lot of like validation and expectations for people that are in those roles. And there's also like this financial of like, how do I actually maintain my life to the same standard? Because you're not going to be making as much money. There's so much that goes into it. But I think we really need to start to release ourselves from whose opinion really matters. Because I think, first of all, a lot of opinions that don't really matter and people that aren't really of importance in our lives end up being voices that we think about. So for example, like we talked about this earlier, like listening to people online who are they even? <laughs> like, why Why would someone whose name I don't even know, who's hiding behind an avatar, actually have any impact in the decisions that I make in terms of how I live my life? And maybe it's not an online avatar. Maybe it's former classmates. Maybe it's former colleagues that you're just not close with. You don't resonate with. But we still do a lot of things to impress other people. So I think we need to say, if I'm trying to impress someone, like, why are they someone that I want to impress? Like, does that impression actually matter? I think the harder thing is that then we need to bring it into like our inner circle of like our parents, our partners, our close friends, and people who, again, want us to be successful, have expectations around us. And I think that we, again, like going back to the brain science, we need to remember that every single one of those people is trying to keep us safe. They want us to They want their version of best interest is usually their own frame of reference. So whether that's having that safe, stable, high-paying job that is going to give a lot of financial success and financial security, even if it leaves you devoid spiritually, that's maybe that made them feel good. That was their choice. They'll project it onto you. But also we need to understand, like, I think the thing that is most freeing in those dynamics is really like getting into what does this person want from me? What do they want from me? And what do they want for me? Because I think especially when we get into like our families and our parents, our the people who love us want us to be happy. They want us to be secure. They want us to be safe. That's ultimately what they want. And then that leads us to the question is, what is happy for me? What is safe for me and what is secure for me? And my answer might not be the same as their answer. And I need to be okay with that. And then I need to find a way to communicate that. And ultimately, I think with some of the choices that we make, especially when it's some of us are have ambitions that are really big. So this is something that a lot of my clients go through is that their ambitions really don't like people don't understand them because they're so much higher than a lot of people in their lives. So they get a lot of, are you sure? That seems really hard. Are you, Do you really think that you can do that? Do you really think you can get to that level? And I think sometimes we, for the people around us, we need them to believe in us even when they don't see the vision 
But also sometimes we need to understand that they won't be able to support us until the success happens. Just because they're so detached from that possible reality that is available to us, not to say it's better or worse in any sort of way, it's not. Like we're all just on our own individual journeys. No one is better or worse than anyone else in this lifetime. But if we can, so many won't understand it until it happened and struggle to see because that wasn't their reality or it wasn't there. So I think that's something that we also need to reconcile is like we might not be able to get support from the people that we want support from, but we love them anyway. We take what we can, but then also making sure that you build on a network of people who understand that vision and will support you through it too. That's something that has been very transformational for me personally in the last two years as someone who realized that they wanted things that were very different and somewhat unconventional. Why would we dive into that story a bit, if you don't mind? You said there's a lot of changes with you in terms of your goals, right? In the past year. So how did that all happen? Yeah, it's been like a slow moving thing, right? So I think like most people don't leave like very successful, highly compensated tech career, like executive level roles to go and start a YouTube channel, which is essentially what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Like bearing in mind when I started my career, like YouTube had just been invented. It wasn't a job by any means. So for people of my era, being a YouTuber wasn't a career opportunity. Being an influencer wasn't something that anyone would think to do at the time that we were going to college and making these career decisions. And actually, like it's perfectly encapsulated because one of the things like I was talking to like my oldest son. And I was doing like a video for work. I'm like, oh, like mommy just like needs to shoot this video for work. Isn't my job so weird? He's like, why is it weird? Because for him, being a creator and being a YouTuber is like a totally normal, totally desirable job. (laughs) So some of it is just, okay, like for the way that the world has changed, like my name, like my, my, my mind needs to wrap around it. But then also like a lot of people that I like, that I grew up with and stuff, they're so proud of me. Like I am really lucky in that Like my friends and my family, especially back home, while they haven't always understood it, they've always been like my biggest cheerleaders. Um, But like going on onto this journey has been like being a content creator is very unique. So I've purposefully, especially in the last like one to two years, forged a lot of friendships with people who are also content creators, who are also on TikTok, who are also on YouTube or LinkedIn, whatever modality they do. Because I think some of the things that we go through in this particular profession are so unique. Like talking to people who don't exist online about online hate is not relatable. They don't understand how that feels as someone who it could be directed towards. Or when you're dealing with kind of like really like insidious comments and stuff, you just delete it. I still have to read it. (laughs) And that's hard sometimes. For sure. Yeah. And speaking of like content creation, YouTube's been a, uh, a long time. I think they started 2005 and then TikTok obviously blew mm-hmm. up in the past couple of years, especially during the pandemic. So yeah. my next question to you is in terms of saturation, is it a myth? Or, yeah. Is, is saturation a myth? What I mean by that is uh, even for careers, there's a lot of data mm-hmm. science boot camps out there right now, uh, a lot of uh, UX, UI design boot camps. So there's a lot of people. Have you watched careers. what was going on Twitter? In the last day? What happened? What happened to Oh, so there, is a, there, there was a tech boot camp that has just been called down and dragged for being a complete scam. Oh, is it a popular one? It's or been, is it... I, it was popular in the Twitter world. Oh, okay. So is that the one? Talk about it offline. I don't want to, I don't want to publicly drag anyone because honestly, I don't, I haven't researched that particular boot camp. I just was like reading very lopsided tweets. So I'm not one to name and shame in the first place. Honestly, I'm really not. But yeah, there's, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So my question was like, do you believe in saturation of skills? So there's a lot of YouTube channels out there. There's a lot of TikTok creators. There's a lot of people trying to be data scientists now these bootcamps are churning out these data scientists. Do you think that there's more, there's more supply and less demand to really stand out if you're looking to get into like content creation or looking to make a career pivot in a very high demand field? Okay, short answer, no. And let me explain. So I think that some of the things that, some of the ambition, so I think like content creator is just a really good one because it's hard to make it as a content creator. It's harder to make it as a content creator in 2022-2023 than it is transitioning into data science because data science is this like rapidly growing field so like 
boot camps can turn out graduates. There is jobs coming onto the market because it is such a new profession, right? And there's so much growth within it. And I think even in terms of navigating into the recession side, sorry, side rant into this, there is definitely functions that in this market are still going to be in high demand just because it is high growth. And I think data is definitely going to be one of them. In my opinion, take it that for what it's worth. I think the thing is that there's always an exception to the rule. So I started my YouTube channel in 20, I want to say 2019. Yeah. April 2019 was my very first video upload onto YouTube. And at that point, like YouTube was established, mature, like there was no space for growth, but I've still managed to grow using long form content, TikTok, and obviously there's all of these new avenues. So I think one thing is like these new avenues exist, but I think that there's always going to be exceptions. So for to a certain degree, we get to decide if we're the exception or if we're the role. And I think the way that we become the exception goes back to the unique awesomeness question and really understanding what can I uniquely provide? How can I uniquely make an impact? What skills and experience can I share or what perspectives can I share that is going to help people in a way that isn't already out there? Because I think when you're able to set yourself apart using your UAQ, that's where people really will find you that need that specific help right? So as long as there's kind of people at scale that have that interest or need that impact, they're going to find you. It goes back to building that value and, and making yourself like marketable, right? Like uh, Gary V's quote, one of Gary V's quotes that I read is that in the future, everything's going to be commoditized. The only thing that will make you differentiate yourself compared to others is the brand equity that you've built. So if there's a thousand career coaches and they all do the same thing, but for you, you have a huge YouTube presence that you do speaking gigs and stuff you're going to stand out just because you have that trust already from all that brand equity you built through your content. Yeah, no. And to be honest, there's a lot of people I can tell you from the comments that I get on YouTube. There's a lot of people that meet me that are like, I can't stand your voice. I hate you. What you're saying makes no sense. And there, there's someone out there for everyone, whether that's hiring for a job in a company, a coach that you want to work with. Like I think, and I think especially like our unique value, like again, it goes to what we intuitively are bringing to the table. I think in an online and personal branding space, it really comes down to our UIQ, our personality, and then our style like comes into play. So like your swag and how you like present yourself and how you make people feel really becomes important. Like my goal on all of my channels, whether it's writing a post on LinkedIn, making a video on YouTube, my goal is always that someone feels like they're having a conversation that they didn't necessarily want to have, but they needed to have with one of their best friends. That's always the vibe that I'm going for. Not everyone wants that. Some people do. And I think that the people who want that or need that are going to find me. Yeah, for sure. And like, it goes back to the job search. You might be qualified for the job, but if you're not the right cultural fit or personality match, then it wouldn't be a good fit for you even if you got the job because you're not going to mesh well with that team. Yeah, I can side rant about like how like the culture and personality frig is used for <laughs> discrimination. But ultimately, you don't want that job. If they're discriminating against you in the hiring process, it's going to be worse if you're relying on them for a paycheck. But yeah, there's there I think so one of the things when I was hiring, every single person that I hired, every single person that I interviewed, whether as a hiring manager, recruiter or someone on the hiring panel, I was always looking for what is the ad? What are they going to bring to the table that no one else has on the team right now? Or no one has at the company right now, if it was a little company, because I think that was what really made the difference. So if someone was coming in with a unique skill, or if they had a particular strength that my team didn't have already, that was really going to give them a very easy leading edge because I was always looking for ways to uplevel the team. And I knew that the, the way to uplevel the team wasn't by hiring the same person again and again, my way of uploading my team is figuring out what competencies, what skills, and what attributes are really going to drive success for the entire team. How can they learn from and encourage and mentor each other? And what holes are there right now that I can fill? And it's the same approach when you're marketing yourself into a job, right? So and obviously, if you're marketing yourself into a job or marketing yourself into a promotion, you might not have all of the information. 
that you need to do that in a very specific and tailored way. But you can make a number of inferences based on the information you have available. And in the interview process, you can ask questions to uncover those things so that you are able to market yourself as a differentiator, as a person who is going to up-level the team, up-level the organization, up-level the leadership. I love it about your book. Yeah, I'm obsessed with my book. I'm so excited. So it comes out on January 10th. It's available for pre-order right now. Career Glow Up is like really the embodiment of everything that I want people to do. So it starts with understanding what you really want from your career, defining your UAQ so you know what differentiates you at every juncture in your career, and then getting the right foundational strategies in place to elevate and accelerate your career. The coolest thing about the book is it's not a traditional business book where you read it, you're like, oh, that was interesting, and then you like forget everything. It's actually designed to be a workbook. So it's think business book meets journal is how I like to describe it. So you're not just reading, you're taking action the entire time. So at the end of it, you basically have like your career success plan all laid out for you. So it's super cool. It is available for pre-order. So careerglowupbook.com. And I even have pre-order bonuses because in the book world, pre-orders are really important. So if you do pre-order it, if you're listening and it's December and you're like, I would like this, I can order it for my work bestie you can also get some additional resources and stuff so go to the site it's all there i'm super excited i can't wait for it to come out (laughs) it's a whole vibe what made you decide to write a book because like a a book is a lot it's basically a labor of love right because it's very time consuming you have to go through multiple editors there's also there's obviously that perfectionism is it good enough to publish so quickly walk us through that process from like How did you come up with the idea of the book and the process of making that book? Yeah. So fun fact, the first book I tried to write was when I was seven and it was a memoir. (laughs) It was a very dramatic child. Seven. Seven. Go figure. So it's not the same book. I promise you, if you buy it, it has nothing to do with my seven-year-old memoir. So I really wanted to just make this generally available. Obviously, I create a lot of content, but it's videos and I wanted something to be a guide. So I ended up, I actually wrote this book twice. Fun fact, (laughs) another fun fact, because I did see it. Like I, I always read a lot. So I wrote the book that I knew how to read deal. And as I was finishing it, I was actually approached by my publisher asking if I had ever thought of writing a book. And I was like, actually, I wrote a book. <laughs> but because it was a different format, like they, I'm so excited because the thing that I have to say is that I went through Carter Publishing and Rockpoint is the imprint. Their books are so beautiful. Like it's not, you don't, I'm usually like a Kindle person. I'm like, this is something that you have to get like the hard copy. Like even you can see it in the background. There's like foiling the details. Amazing. It's very much like a pen to paper. It's it's like high quality. Like when I say it's a vibe, it is such a vibe. So I really like knowing their product. I really wanted to work with them when they approached me. So I had to reformat. So I actually wrote the book twice, but yeah, I just, I wanted something that would guide people because I remember in my career, At so many points, I was looking for these answers of how do I actually create a network of advocates who are going to brag about me? How do I figure out how to be different and how to stand out? How do I actually build a personal brand? And I remember reading all of these books telling me to do these things. I can't tell you how many books I read that about the importance of finding mentors and sponsors that never told me how to find a mentor or a sponsor. I had no, okay, that's cool. I get it. But like, how? (laughs) So I really, what I wanted to write was the career success guide that I needed in my career that would have saved me so much time, so much agony and so much like effort figuring it out. (laughs) So that's really what career glow up is. Yeah, th- that's great. And like, even for me, like when someone's looking to change their careers, career paths, I always say just reach out to people that have the job that you want and see how they got to that point. And then they built that roadmap for yeah. you. So you don't have to go Absolutely. through the same that they went through. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And I was really, I was so lucky and so fortunate to have a lot of guides, a lot of mentors, and a lot of sponsors that I did end up finding or they found their way to me. Um, but I know that not everyone has that. I had the benefit of working with Star such exceptional leaders. And a lot of, I felt, especially as a woman working in tech, where like women in tech are a visible minority. I got to work with so many incredible women that 
are just ridiculously successful. And I learned so much from them. And they would let me pick their brains and ask them silly questions. And I could look up to them and see how they functioned to figure it out for myself. But not everyone has access to that, right? Because not everyone has access to those leaders. Not everyone is sitting in an office these days. There's so much that goes into having the privilege that I really did end up finding for myself in my career. Because I remember like when I first came to New York from Canada, I didn't know anyone. <laughs> like I, My network was zero. I didn't know anything. Like So there was so much learning that I needed to do that – Again, like it's a guide that if I had bought that book when I arrived in New York City in 2011, it would have saved me a lot of time. <laughs> I still, I was, again, like I was really lucky with the people that supported me and I was able to learn from and all of that stuff. And I do thank them at the end of the book. They're all acknowledged, of course. But I want, I don't want it to be an exclusive experience. I want it to be something that's accessible to everyone in a digestible and an actionable way. So obviously one of the biggest takeaways of this podcast is to buy your book or pre-order it because it's coming out in January. <laughs> but what's the other big takeaway? If someone was listening to this one hour conversation, what's the one thing you want them to take away for 2023 for their career? I think the biggest thing that I can say is focus on you. There is so much going on and there's, again, like we've, we talk so much about like layoffs and things. You open up Twitter or the news or you get alerts on your phone and the world feels like it's going to be a certain way. And even when you're in a job, if you're trying to get promoted or tra transition careers, you're like, oh my gosh, these people have this experience and they know these people and they went to these schools. And there's a million reasons why we start to undermine ourselves. Really focus on you and, fo and what you're bringing to the table because other people are on their own journey. They have their own set of circumstances. And really what happens with them in their career doesn't have anything to do with you, even if it feels like it does. The thing that you can control is how you show up and how you choose to make an impact and the relationships that you have and ultimately how you make people feel. And that's really what is going to stage you for success is knowing that the important player in your career is you. Absolutely. A lot of people can influence you but ultimately you have to I, I'm gonna say pay for the consequences but like you have to deal with the consequences of your actions regardless of how much influence other people have of you right absolutely no it's things can happen to you or they can happen for you and we get to make those decisions even though we don't get to make all of the decisions but how we choose to handle any situation that we're in, tackle our own career success and career growth and job search is really going to be a determining factor. Yeah, for sure. Knowing that this is the second time you're on my podcast, but this is actually the first time I'm going to ask you this question because I think I started doing this a few months after you helped me launch my podcast. So I end this conversation, I end, I end the conversation with my guests with this question. So my podcast is about helping professionals overcome uh, common career challenges and get them to the next level. So for you, what was one big challenge in your career that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? Oh my gosh, I have to pick one. So I think like probably the most interesting one, and I think one that a lot of people can probably relate to is that my education and my training never was relevant to my career. And I didn't, I immigrated to the US from Canada and I came into New York City where I didn't have the degree. I didn't have the network. I didn't have the leg up that I felt like. I didn't have any of the advantages that everyone around me had. And it wasn't even advantages. It was just like the operating standard. And so I had to find other ways. Like I had to find ways to bypass. So one of the things when I moved here was a lot of my friends were working in big tech or people that I didn't know were working in big – or that I met rather – were working in big tech and they were getting like the steady stream of recruiters and their DMs. And I was like, well, I want that. And I'm looking for a job and this isn't fair. So what I did was I like in any situation where I didn't feel like I was on an equal playing field or I didn't have an advantage, I was like, okay, that person has this advantage and I don't have the same advantage, but I could find a way. Arriving in the US, it was building out my personal brand. When it was when I was in my job and I was just like this nobody at the organization, I was like, okay, how can I make the biggest impact so the CEO knows my name? And like, how can I help my customer? How can I help my coworkers? Like, how can I help? And that that was always 
when I found ways, different approaches and thinking outside the box, as cliche as it sounds, that's really like it opened all of the doors for me. If I had taken traditional paths or if I felt prohibited by what my experience was, especially you know, as someone who's changed careers, changed countries, and didn't have an MBA from an Ivy League in New York City like everybody else does in tech, there's always an option C. And just be inventive and find a way. And I think the great thing about the internet and podcasts and YouTube is there are so many people who can introduce you to other options and find people that you can look up to and that you trust and that their messages really resonate and figure it out. Great. That, that's some great learning lessons you shared, Jennifer. And uh, besides getting my listeners to make you a New York Times bestseller, how else can people reach out to you and learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll shamelessly plug it again, careerglowupbook.com, prayer under my book. New York like New York Times bestseller is like a pipe dream, but I'm like, it's on my vision board anyways. Other than that, you can very easily find me on YouTube. Just type in Jennifer Brick or youtube.com slash Jennifer Brick. Or if you just want to check out my website, it has linky links to all of the socials and stuff like that. It's capdecasolutions.com. What's, what's, I don't think I ever asked you in our first conversation, what does that mean, capdeca? So CapDeca, it's actually, uh, it's capitalist decadence. <laughs> it's about being a little extra, <laughs> which I think I'm a little extra. Again, it goes back to having a name that resonates with your brand and your values, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of YouTube, have you got your YouTube handle as I came out for you yet? Like I got mine right away. Yeah. Yeah. So at Jennifer Breck is where you can find me. Okay. I got my channel with the plan. I couldn't get it on TikTok and get it on Instagram, but as soon as I got that alert for a YouTube handle, I like plugged it in and I had it. It's I know it, it was for, like, like the podcast, right? It was like, the it's rush. a sign. Okay. That means I have to do video. If I can get that handle, I have to do video now. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I feel like it was like a, it's like any marketing nerd who like was all over the handles as soon as it was announced. Cause I have a couple of YouTube accounts. I was like, okay, I'll like also careerbestie.com points to my site. Cause that's my general brand. So I went and grabbed that. And then I have the short version of my name on another channel. So like I've got, but the one I use is at Jennifer Brick. <laughs> awesome. Again, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.